listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. I'm Justin. Um, I serve here as a student ministry small group leader. Um, Love it. And I'm going to be reading the scriptures for today. In Luke 11:14 through 28, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when a stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted and divides a spoiled. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds a house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast on which you nursed. But he said, Blessed are those who hear, hear the word of God and keep it. This is the word of the Lord. This is the seventh time in the book of Luke that, uh, that we've encountered demonic spirits. The first one being when Jesus encountered Satan uh, after he had fasted 40 days and, and 40 nights. This is the seventh time. This is, this is old hat now to readers of the gospel of Luke. They consistently see Jesus encountering demons and besting them. In fact, he's given his own disciples on their journeys ministering in his name. He's given them authority over the demonic realm. But what we come to today is a, is, is a tipping point, if you will, specifically with the rulers of Israel. The rulers of Israel are hearing what has been said about Jesus. And they've come to listen and to hear for themselves what Jesus is actually saying. The things that he's saying is running contrary to a lot of what they had taught. In fact, the things that he is saying is, is putting them in a position of, of being opposed to the work of God. And these religious leaders are just about fed up with this one from Nazareth who, who didn't even go through their ranks to be a, a rabbi traveling about with, a, with an entourage and a crowd listening to the things that he has to say. They're about done with Jesus. 
And, and I think that's what we're going to see here. When, when they respond to him and the, the works that he's doing, specifically the casting out of another demon, this thing that we're seeing over and over in the Gospel of Luke. I think what we're going to discover here is a, is a scene that leads to a dividing line. And that dividing line is either going to put us uh, partnering with, with God and His redemptive purpose and His kingdom that was promised through the person of His Son, the Messiah. Or it's going to put us on the other side of that dividing line, partnering with the kingdom of this world, of which its ruler is that prince of demons that we know as Satan. This is a tipping point in the gospel. And I think we would do well to, to heed the words that Jesus gives to these that are a little bit different than we, but in a lot of ways, exactly as we. First, a debate over power that we hear in this little section of Luke's gospel chapter 11. This debate is over how does Jesus have this power that he's exercising? There's no denying the, the power that Jesus is, is working. Uh, in, in our culture, in our world today, there are a number of people who will put all of their energies into denying that the miraculous works that have been recorded about Jesus never actually happened. They, they, they will do all they can to say that this is the product, this scripture, this Bible that we hold, this, these New Testament documents, all a bunch of fables. It's all a bunch of things that his later followers put together and made it look like these were actual events. Unfortunately, if, if you're smart enough to read behind the rabbis, if you're smart enough to, to do a little digging and to, to discover the, the works of those who were writing at and just after the time of Jesus, you'll find in the religious writings that there were, there were those that were opposed to Jesus who actually confirmed the works he was doing but continued in their efforts to try to discredit how he was doing them. Not whether they were true or not, but rather how he was doing it contrary to the works of God in which they believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's what we come to when we find this debate over the power. There's no denying that this individual that Jesus has healed here, who in Matthew chapter 12, it tells us that, that he was not only mute, but Matthew 12, 22 says that he was blind and mute. So is this the same thing? Probably the same thing. Luke's just not giving us as much detail. But the bottom line is that this man has been impaired physically because of a spiritual domination. And Jesus recognized that. Jesus saw that this man was unable to speak, according to Matthew, also unable to hear, because of the work of the demonic spirit residing within him. Jesus released this man from the, the Spirit's dominion and automatically that thing that was incapable for him also all of a sudden becomes a reality. He begins to speak. According to Matthew, he also begins to see. There's no denying what Jesus has done. There's no denying what Jesus has done previously. Healings 
the, the, the ability to understand what folks are thinking before they're even spoken it to another. There's no denying these things. So what they do is they debate over where his power comes from. See, the things that Jesus was doing, the things that Jesus was saying to the religious leaders of Israel at that time, they would have clearly realized that Jesus was doing the things that was prophesied of him through the prophets of the Old Testament. The things that Jesus was saying, the, the, the remarks that he was making were a clear signification that he was the one who had been promised. The problem is, is they were not satisfied with his message. They were not satisfied that Jesus was not looking to link arms with them and, and, and continue his ministry under their approval. And so therefore, they were just denying all of these things and trying their best to figure a way around Jesus. Well, the easiest way around Jesus was to link him to the, the evil one spoken of, though in clouded ways in the Old Testament, but believed and understood through your, your local theologies and the way that we all kind of just sort of, of have our, our way of thinking about the evil one. Even we have that. Scripture has says very little by comparison about demons. But we have a pretty clear understanding of what we think about the demonics, depending on whether we've watched a lot of television or we've read Frank Peretti's Darkness series. We've got an idea about demons, but it's not necessarily based solely on Scripture. And that's the way the Jewish people of that day were. And they understood that there was an enemy. There was a, a, a demonic realm of which was contrary to the workings of God and they associated them rightly so with the pagan deities of the Canaanites and the other nations which lived in the world and so the easiest way around Jesus was to disconnect him from the prophecies that clearly demonstrate him and connect him to some sort of pagan deity that's where we get this idea of Beelzebul now this word Beelzebul is, is not directly connected to any particular deity based on what we have as far as documents are concerned. But what we think we're looking at with Beelzebul is something connected back to a Philistine, a Canaanite deity that is identified in 2 Kings chapter number 1 where one of Israel's kings falls through some roofing. When we lived in Texas, I was upstairs in our attic and I was doing some things and, and there was a board that, that I thought went from rafter to rafter. What, what I didn't realize is that the board was only connected to one rafter. It was like a little diving board on the other end. Wife is gone. I'm in the attic above the, the garage. No one's in the house but me. And I step on that particular board. And what do you think happened? Gravity happened. Okay? Gravity went into full effect. And before I realized it, like a shot of lightning, I'm holding two rafters at this level of my body. And, 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 and I've got feet dangling over the concrete. 
Okay, now I understand about the whole adrenaline thing because I am not a gymnast. And trust me, if I was in this position at the gym, I would just have to stay in this position or let go. But in that moment, I pressed myself right up like a gymnast. I mean, I could have probably done the rings if I'd have had some. Pressed myself up, sat on that rafter, and you know what I said? Thank you, Lord. Because if I'd have fell through that, I'd have probably broke my legs. Seminary would have been over. My wife wouldn't have been home. She'd have went somewhere else before she came home. It would have all worked that way, right? And I'd have been laying there. So thanks be to God that he didn't allow me. That's why there's rafters up here, and there's folks that have crawled along up here, and you'll never find me. I'm too heavy, and gravity is too sure. So I'm not doing it. But this king in Israel, 2 Kings chapter number 1, was apparently up above. He fell down and did what could have happened to me, hurt himself, and he said to his advisors, go to the city of Ekron, which was a Philistine city, and inquire of Baal-zebub. Not B-E-E-L-zebul, but B-A-A-L-zebub. Baal-zebub. And those of you who are thinking Bohemian Rhapsody, it's a real thing, okay? And that's the only context you have, but it's a real person. Second Kings chapter 1. Go inquire of the pagan deity Baal-zebub about my injury. Well, y'all don't have to know how foolish a request that was. A king in the nation founded and created by the God of heaven and earth is seeking some sort of, of, of healing word from a pagan deity. Well, you go through the centuries and, and probably Beelzebul is connected to that Baal Zebub, the Lord of the Flies of the Canaanite religion. The bottom line is, is that at this time in Israel's history, Beelzebul was sort of an idiom, a, 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 a term that the Israelites would have known, the Jewish people would have known, was a reference to Satan, the chief prince of all of the angelic realm that is contrary to the work of their creator, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when they said, we know how you're doing this, Jesus. You're doing this by the power of Beelzebul. Everyone would have known that what they were accusing Jesus of is working and ministering under the power of Satan. Now that is a heavy-handed accusation. The reason they're making this is because we're coming to a tipping point. They're making this very public. They're making this very bold. And that's going to be the line they're going to continue on. Very like some modern politicians that we have watched for decades and decades of those of us who have been watching the American way of governing. You know, political parties can just decide that they're going to believe something and promote it. And it doesn't matter how much you disprove it. They're not going to change. They're not going to bend. Why? Because they're dumb, just like these folks. Because the facts are the facts, and Jesus is about to bring some facts to the table. Now, before we move beyond, I want to just tell you, Jesus was dealing with a religious crowd 
who believed in the God of creation, who believed in the God of Israel. And the debate is over whether or not Jesus' works are contrary to that God or not. As I've already alluded to, we operate in a different sphere. The debates that you will have over the things of faith will most, most likely not be with people that you're arguing about where the supernatural power comes from as much as you will be debating those who don't believe that there is such a thing as the supernatural. We don't live in the same culture. Most of the folks that we will come into contact with that will be contrary to who we are as followers of Jesus would consider themselves irreligious, atheistic, someone who is denying the supernatural altogether. The encouraging thing that I have for you is even though Jesus' situation is seemingly vast in difference, based on who he's arguing with, his response is the same, regardless of whether you're someone who believes in the God, but not the Son, or whether you're someone who doesn't believe in the God at all, Jesus' response is exactly the same. So that's why we don't need to tune out because we've not had this situation rise up, we need to pay close attention because Jesus' response to these objectors is going to be the same line of thought that we need to remember when we face our objectors. Make sense? So we've seen the debate over his power. We can't deny what you did, but we're claiming you're doing these things through the power of Satan. Well, then Jesus gives an answer that demands a response. He doesn't just give them an answer. He actually gives them an answer and draws the line in the sand, basically saying, now you've got to decide which side of that line you're going to be on. While they might not make a public declaration of their side, they ultimately will make that decision. Jesus says in verse number 17, he starts out with an argument from just pure logic. He says, but he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, well, it seems to me that every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. Jesus first uses simple logic to show the ridiculousness of this suggestion. Jesus says, come on guys. Y- y'all know that every kingdom that has infighting begins to deteriorate. And eventually it will fall because if they are not united, the kingdom that's standing, if they're not united, they begin to fall because there's infighting. And so therefore they become susceptible to outside warring forces. He says, if Satan is divided against himself, how can he stand? If, if I am utilizing the power of Satan to battle Satan... Doesn't that prove that Satan's a pretty dumb foe? 
And I mean, if I'm doing it under his power, then he's the one in charge and I'm under him. Doesn't that demonstrate the stupidity of the demonic realm? I mean, come on, guys. What you're suggesting not only is blasphemous. And you notice Jesus never said that. Jesus never looked at them and said blasphemy. He could have. But at this point, he's chosen not to be that blatant. This is not, not, that, not that this is blasphemous, which it was. This is ridiculous. Not only the logic, he then uses their own propaganda. And by propaganda, I mean the things that they were saying about exorcisms. Apparently, in the, in the Jewish religious hierarchy... There were those who were set aside who were, according to them, able to do exorcisms. Now, whether these exorcisms were legitimate or if they were simply a money-making scheme where they would come into the presence of one who they thought was demon-possessed and say some incantations and, 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 and lift some incense and say some things and walk away saying, you're healed or you're incapable of being healed, then what they were doing was more like propaganda than reality. Now, maybe there were some that were given relief. Maybe God did work through some. I doubt that was the case. I figure more likely they would simply announce someone was, was released from a demon who really didn't have a demon and was just plagued by some sort of sickness, or they would proclaim the person incapable of being healed. But what Jesus does is after using simple logic, come on guys, what you're saying is ridiculous. No kingdom would ever do that. That would be silly for me to be warring against my own kind if that were the case. Not only that, what does this do to the things that you tell people about exorcisms? He says in verse 19, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore let them be your judges. Jesus said, not, not only is what you're saying ridiculous, but, but if, if I'm casting out demons by the devil, well then whose power do your people have to do the things that you say they're doing? You say they're going about casting out demons, and what are you doing? You celebrating that, or are you accusing them of being possessed by the devil? It's like, you guys don't make any sense. You're... you're, you're you're, you're, you're clouded in your thinking. They were bold in their accusation. But Jesus says what you're saying is not logical. And it doesn't fit your own narrative. I love what he says, verse 20. But, however, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons... I notice this finger of God. Where's he coming from with this? Well, it's interesting. You go back to Exodus chapter number 8, verse number 19. You'll find that you're in the middle of the Egyptian plagues. You'll recall the Israelites were under slave bondage to the Egyptians. They had cried out to God to be released. They were in slavery. They were in bondage for a number of years. And then God finally answered their prayer and sent a representative whose name was, who? Moses. 
Moses came in and, and he told Pharaoh, God told me to tell you, thank you, Bill, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, not going to do it. And so God said, fine, I'll take this as an opportunity to prove that I am God and none of your gods that you worship are truly gods. And so the plagues aren't just random. God didn't wake up and say, you know what I'm going to do? Frogs would be funny. Let's send them some frogs. That'd be funny to watch. No. Each one of the plagues counteracted an expectation that the Egyptian people had from one of their multiple gods to whom they worshiped. And so what God did was, what the thing they were praying for, the thing they were assuming, God just simply turned it upside down and brought the the voluminous opposite of what that God should have done, showing that I am the true God. Now, Pharaoh, are you ready now to let my people go? And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not. Plague after plague after plague. Well, I believe it was the third or fourth plague. It was gnats. Where God told Moses to tell Aaron to use a staff and, and to sweep up some dust of the ground. And that dust would become like gnats, basically, so that Egypt would become like Florida in the summertime. <laughs> Not gnats, but mosquitoes. So we know what that's like, but probably multiplied more and more. Anybody ever had a gnat? Get in your eye or just be. This morning, I was talking to Greg uh, Morris. We were talking, and there was a, there was a gnat type thing. And I said, we were having this conversation. The gnat had been on me, but he was standing tall. I was sitting down, and the gnat got on him. And I watched as, as he was swatting and that thing getting around. And in my mind, I was thinking, I'm glad you're standing up. I'm sitting down, so it's messing with you, not me. We've been in those gnats before, and we they, the magicians of Egypt had been able to turn water to blood. They had been able to turn a staff into a snake through the demonic powers. They had been able to duplicate everything that Moses had done as a sign to Pharaoh, except when it got to this one. And by the time it got to this one, they tried to whip up some dust and make them into gnats, and they weren't able to do it. And the Egyptian magicians were shocked. And told Pharaoh, Pharaoh, now look, you need to hear us. We've not been able to duplicate that. This action must be by the finger of God. So Jesus isn't just randomly throwing out some things here. Jesus says, look, if I'm casting out demons by a demon, then so are your boys. I'm still on that for a minute. But if what I'm doing is of the finger of God, and immediately they'd have went back to Egypt. And they'd have thought, mm-hmm, I know what he's saying. But if what I'm doing is by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, boys, listen up. I get you trying to connect me to the enemy. I get it. You're dumb. But if I'm right, and what I'm doing is by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is here. And 
you're going to have to make a decision and you're headed the wrong way. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. Well, that makes sense. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted, divides the spoil. Makes total sense as long as, as you've got a bigger army, as long as you've got more weapons, as long as you're strong enough to keep back the enemy, that's great. Your kingdom stays intact until someone stronger than you shows up. And then the stronger one strips you down and takes your armor and redistributes everything you thought you had under control. Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Who do you think Jesus is picturing as the strong man? Well, that ain't him. That's the enemy. The enemy, Satan, had been holding court in this world, in his kingdom, ever since the garden. Ever since sin was entered into God's creation, the strong man had been holding court. And nobody had ever been born that was able to overthrow the strong man. No one had ever been able to stand against the strong man until one stronger than he came on the scene. Now you say, well, God the Father operating through Israel. Yeah, 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 but this is important. It's important because someone like us who had been dominated by the strong man, who had been kept captive by the strong man, who had been held in prison by the strong man with no, uh, no opportunity for parole, nothing to expect but death until one like us was born who was stronger than the strong man. And that one who was stronger than the strong man kicks in the doors of the strong man's kingdom, strips him down, and takes what was his and makes it his own. You say, bully? No, ma'am. Because guess what was his that you are so glad he took control over? You. Jesus says, now guys... If what I'm doing is by the finger of God, then right here's the line. And everybody that's with me is with the stronger man. Everybody who's with me is on the right side of the kingdom of God. And everybody who's against me stands with the strong man who's getting stripped and who's getting broken down. But you stay in bondage there. You stay in captivity there. But you can come into the light with me. He wasn't confusing these guys. Now there are folks in the crowd that were wondering, strong man, stronger man, what's he talking about? These guys, 
they knew exactly what he was referring to. Jesus didn't just answer them. He drew a line and said, now you're going to have to decide. Don't you find it beautiful that the grace of God still gave an opportunity even after they claimed that he was operating under the power of Satan? And we got to be real careful because a lot of times we think, okay, well, there's a passage in the, in the, in the Gospels that talks about that sin that there's no, there's no forgiveness for, that one that's unpardonable. And that's what they did. They said that Jesus was under the power of Satan, and that was it. There was no forgiveness after that. Yet I see Jesus still offering them an opportunity to say, my bad. My, my, yeah, you're right. I don't want to be with them no more. I want to be with you. The grace of God. Now, you hold to that position against him, then he'll let you remain in that kingdom that is not gathering, but rather is scattering. It's, scat- it's trying to, to disrupt what God is doing in the gathering of his harvest. And you've got those out there who are scattering as his enemy. The clear point here is that Everyone must choose Jesus or be against him. It's not like Switzerland where y'all fight. And I know y'all don't like y'all. We're just going to be over here and we'll have water for whoever needs break. I know Switzerland in the kingdom work. No offense to the Swiss people. That's just a foolish illustration. Jesus goes on to illustrate the no room for neutrality. Here's what he says. Verse 24. He says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a person. That's what they've just witnessed. The man was delivered from the demonic spirit. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. You go, what in the world does that mean? Well, I had to dig a little bit to kind of figure out what that meant. And and just be right frank with you, I'm not 100% confident that I've got my mind wrapped around what Jesus is doing here. But it seems as though what he's doing is he's working off of their understanding of how exorcisms and demons and possessions work. It seems that the Israelite folklore and superstition believed that demons like robbers were in dark places and desert-like places waiting to pounce on a vulnerable person to possess them. So they would, they would have in their mind that demons weren't where there were, where was water. Because demons and water don't mix. How, how do you get that? You don't. But you know how things just kind of, you know, they mushroom and we come up with all kinds. Had somebody tell me one time that they were going to exercise a house. And they were going to, they were going to pour salt on the window sills and the doors so that the demons couldn't get in. I'm thinking, so demons have high blood pressure issues. They're not, you know, they don't like salty foods. They're more bland in their t- I, I don't get, but why do we do that? Why we, well, what's that water out? Well, it just keep the demons away. They don't like water? 
You know, I, I don't, but that's, it, it appears that what Jesus does is like, so you guys, you guys, sorry, I'm talking your language. When a demon leaves someone, they go out into the waterless places seeking rest and finding none. So they're out there dispossessed. They're, they're sort of out there and just, the spirit world, whatever that looks like, out there in the desert places. And they get out there, and, and they've been cast out. The stronger one has come and cast them out. So now they're looking for a place to go. They can't rest because they need a body, and they can't like it out there. I don't know what they're thinking. It says, well, can't find rest out here. I'll return to my house from which I came, which was the person that had the demon cast out. Well, I'll just go back home. I'll just go back to Bob. He says what he finds is, when he comes, he finds that the house is swept and put in order. Remember the guy who came running to Jesus? He had all those demons in him, and, and Jesus cast them out, put them into pigs. You, you remember what the first thing that we learned about that man after he had his, had his uh, exorcism? You remember what happened? He was naked, and it says they found him fully clothed and in his right mind sitting at Jesus' feet. Like So he cleaned up. Everything that the, that the demon was, was wreaking havoc on him physically, he was like, wow, can I get some clothes? I, I don't want to be like this anymore. Can I comb my hair? And I'm sitting down, I'm, I'm listening, I'm excited. Jesus says, when the demon is cast out, the person is left. And they're relieved and they're, they're cleaned up and they're, they're back to normal. The demon goes away and says, can't find rest out there. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go back home. To the place where I was. And you know what they find? They found that somebody came cleaned house. Oh, I left it a mess and somebody cleaned it up. Well, they're not interested in getting kicked out again. So what do they do? He goes, verse 26, and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. Says, well, I can't stand against the stronger man. So I'm going to go find seven more that can stand with me. And what ends up being the, 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 the situation for the person now repossessed? He's worse off now than he was at the first time. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that this temporary release from the power of Satan is not enough to guarantee his freedom. That one must replace what did possess him with another who will lead him. See, it's not, what did the, what did the one with the legion of demons? He was, he was freed. He was sitting in his right mind at Jesus' feet. And he's like, Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus is like, I want you to go with me. I would rather you stay here and be a witness for me. Telling others who set you free and how. And the guy says, I can do that. And we learn that he went all over the region. And all of the ten cities of the Decapolis heard about Jesus and the power of the one they thought could be Messiah. Through that one who not only got deliverance from the Spirit, but who embraced Jesus as a result. So Jesus is saying, and using the example of this one who's been freed, and yes, I see he can speak, and yes, you're all marveling, and some of you are wondering where the power came from, and I'm just telling you, you got to decide whether or not I am Messiah, the bringer of the kingdom of God, or you are going to remain 
in the kingdom of darkness because there is no neutrality. I set him free. If he doesn't embrace me, if he just goes home and starts listening to the garbage that you guys are telling, saying that he had been delivered by the power of Satan, then guess what? His ultimate end is going to be far worse than his original possession. Because he's going to have more demons possess him? Maybe, maybe not. But ultimately his destiny is going to be in the kingdom of darkness rather than the light because he did not embrace me. There is no neutrality. Jesus is counteracting those that are denying. I think Jesus is being gracious, and I think Jesus is being truthful, and I think Jesus is using multiple means to try to convince those who are opposed to him to embrace what they know to be true. But ultimately, Jesus doesn't just let them go their way thinking, we'll just agree to disagree. He was bold enough to tell them, but if you stay in the position that you're in, you need to know that you are rejecting me and you are remaining in the kingdom of darkness and you are scattering with your enemy and mine because there is no neutrality. And I think we got to be bold and tell people that. And I think we got to look people in the face and say, you can receive Jesus or you will reject Jesus. You say, that just seems heartless. That just doesn't seem fair. Fair? When did fairness ever come into the gospel? When did fairness ever come in where God's saying, well, it's not fair that I should embrace the sin of these creations of mine so that they might be set free? Where's the fairness in that? It's not about fair. It's about love. It's about truth. It's about holiness. It's about righteousness. And all of those things we don't have apart from Christ. And we don't have Christ apart from faith. There is no neutrality. And then I think it got silent for a minute. You know how we don't like the little silent thing? (laughs) We don't like long pauses of silence. Well, I think this this lady that comes up in in the next verse, 27... I think she's genuine, but, but I think she broke the silence as it all just kind of hung there. Well, blessed is your mama. You know, I, and you know, everybody's like, whew, finally somebody says something. You know, and you, amen, blessed is she. Yes, thank you, you know. <laughs> it would have been a simple honor, yeah. I think she was excited about what she was hearing because I think this lady had already decided who Jesus was. And I think she was like, yes, sir. To ha- Boy, to, ha- to be able to be your mama would be a blessing indeed. And I again think that Jesus accepted her honest and, and well-intentioned but misfocused blessing when he said, well, actually, blessed rather, verse 28, are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Yes, ma'am, I I hear you. She's a good lady. But don't miss the point. 
Those that are blessed, hear God's Word and do it. Who is the Word of God? Jesus Himself. Now, was Jesus saying, like John is going to say about me being like, uh, no, but I do think it's all intertwined because the Word of God that He was proclaiming is reflected in the Word of God who put on flesh. And the bottom line is that you can either receive the capital W word or by default you reject. Now, Pastor Kevin, what about babies and what about folks that, you know, they're, they're, they're mentally handicapped and they can't and all that? Well, you know what I don't have? I don't have scripture to tell you about that. I've got some ideas. And I believe that the grace of God is big. My wife and I have some children that I believe are in the presence of their Savior who never got to see the light of this world. And you say, wow, where's that scripture? I don't got it. You know what I do? I, I, I go to the goodness and to the love of God and I just say, that's what I'm counting on. And, and, and you know what? In eternity, if I discover something different, God won't be wrong. And at that time, I'll be perfectly okay with whatever God decided. But I don't have answers for that. But here's what I do know. If you can receive him and you don't receive him, there is no neutrality. You, you get what you choose or you keep what you had. Does that make sense? And I think we've got to be bold. I think we've got to be honest with people to the best of our ability reminding them that God loves you but you have no idea how much God loves you and there's nothing you could have done to make God love you any less and trust me you'll never do anything to make God love you more but God demonstrated his love for you in this while you were still at the peak of your sinning at the peak of your sin potential. Some of us haven't even reached our sin potential because we've not done some of the most heinous things we can think about. But trust me, it's possible. Even while we were at our peak sinful potential, Christ died for us in our place and for our sin. And he rose, guess what? Victorious. The stronger of the strongest, victorious, the guarantor of those who will by faith trust him. To be born and adopted into the family, to be given a new destination for eternity, but a new purpose for today. Amen? All right. Some principles, and then we'll be done. Number one, Satan is a powerful and destructive foe in this world, but Jesus has proven over and over and over again that he is superior. Christian, believer, don't let Satan have a stronghold in your life. When Satan has a stronghold in the life of a believer, it's because we allow him to. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
We have a way of escape. You say, Pastor Kevin, Satan's got a stronghold in my life right now. And it's called, and you know what it is because you wrestle with it. You're depressed over it. You're aggravated because it just keeps coming back and back and back. Let me tell you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a infinitely stronger one than the one that's got a hold of you right now. You just got to say no to the enemy who no longer has authority over you and yes to your Savior. And you know what will make that a whole lot more easy for you to do is to say yes to your Savior and then get two or three or four of your brothers and sisters that you can tell them what you've said no to and yes to and let them walk with you. Okay? That's number one. Number two, Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom of God on this earth. You say, really? It's going on right now? It started. And he invites us to participate in it with him. You ever go to Chili's and get the uh, chips and salsa? Boy, I love it. And I have to watch myself, right? Because I'll eat you. And she'll come back. She'll go, you want some more of them? Bill, I'll say, I better not. You know why? Because I know if I fill up on the chips, I won't get, I won't enjoy the meal, right? Ain't like that with the kingdom. I think what we're able to do right now is just eat all the chips and salsa of the kingdom we want. Eat what God has sprinkled. I'm just talking about dip deep into the salsa. Double dip, Christian, if you want to. Get it. Eat it. Can I bring you some more? Yes, sir, you can. Get it. Because We're going to enjoy the meal, but the meal ain't here yet. Jesus has inaugurated the kingdom. He's sitting on the throne? No. But he inaugurated it with a cross. He guaranteed it with a tomb. He's going to come back and sit on the throne. But until then, I'm talking chips all day long. Let's walk in the kingdom that has been given. Number three, there's no neutrality with Jesus. You're either with him or you're against him. When you share the gospel, don't forget. It's not a valid option just to, eh, I don't know. Okay. Number four, walk daily in the confidence of the stronger man. Walk daily in the confidence of the stronger man without fear by hearing his word and doing what he said. Amen? Let's stand together. Now, if it just so happens that you came today and you say, Pastor Kevin, if I, if I was being completely honest with you, I don't think I know Jesus as my Savior. I got fantastic news for you. Uh, you can. And, and it's as simple as, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that there ain't a thing I can do about my situation, but I believe you can. And you have addressed it through Jesus, who put on flesh, who lived in complete holiness, and took on himself my sin as a suitable sacrifice. And, and, and bled and died to provide for my forgiveness in my place. 
And I believe that you'll forgive me because of what he's done. And so I'm asking you to, to, to receive me. God, if you'll forgive me, cleanse me, make me your son, make me your daughter. Bring me into your family. I believe, I believe, and I believe he got up from the dead. And I believe he's standing at your right side. And I believe he's coming back. I don't know when, but I want you to lead my life as my father. If that would be your desire today and you've never trusted Jesus, you can walk out of here a brother. You can walk out of here a sister. You can walk out of here with confidence and you're stronger than anybody, big brother, that's going to walk with you until he returns and use you for his glory and the building of his kingdom. And I guarantee you, you won't find a better deal than that today or any other day. But you got to decide. Ain't going to force it on you. But if that's what you want, he's still saving those who ask. Now, Christian, you go out of here encouraged, excited that you got somebody stronger than the biggest foe you'll ever face. And let's walk in that. We're not stronger. He is. Let's let, let's, let's let him be the one who kicks in the door. Let's just walk in behind him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be together today and just look forward to a a feast on Thursday. We thank you for for all the blessings that you've poured out onto us, our nation. We We don't deserve what we have, but we thank you for what we've been given. We ask you to help us to know how to use what we've been given to bless others and to, to be good stewards of, of what truly is yours that's just under our management, which should be under your leading. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to just celebrate Jesus. Thank you that, uh, that you choose to use us in the way you do. And we invite you to do with us whatever you see fit, as long as it brings you glory. And Father, we just have absolute confidence in our king who is returning we just soon it be today i would rather jesus come back today than i would eat that thanksgiving meal and i know my brothers and sisters would too because you you've got to be serving better than anything we'll enjoy here so let our eyes and our focus and our longing be for you And our commitment be to the calling that you've placed on us until such a time as that. For in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.